Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's Friday the 4th of of November. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be taking a look at the Hoffling Hospital experiment that was conducted in 1966 and it's being revisited in uh, 2020 by Dr Sal McLeod. The Intercept is covering how the US government has been listening and spying on US citizens for a while. And then we're going to go to a clip from the Alex Jones show where Judge Napolitano is talking about that aforementioned article. New Zealand is, their security team is coming up with some new ideas about how to put and who to put on the terrorist list, apparently. And that's been happening the same over in the EU. We're going to be listening to a clip of David Icke talking about why he's no longer allowed in the EU. Um, And they're classifying him as a type of terrorist now as well. Covid vaccine to be mandatory for children in Costa Rica. Uh, Did Ebola leak from a lab? And we're also going to be looking at a clip from Sky News Australia about Wuhan, about that kind of stuff and I had a guest on the show I think it was episode 54 so it would have been well over a year ago now Um, funeral director John O'Looney and he made some quite interesting claims and I asked for some proof of them and um, uh, didn't receive that uh, proof but one of the claims that he made seems to have hit the mainstream news today. So although um, or in the last week or so, so although, um, I, you know, he, basically he seemed to be ahead of the curve, but I had to cut him off at the time or at least, you know, not so much cut him off. That sounds quite rude, but, you know, say, hey, have you got proof for that or anything like that? And he couldn't do it. It was just what he'd heard and um, what he'd seen and that kind of stuff. But um now, over a year later, the Daily Mail is reporting on what he was claiming about the uh, prescription drug Medazolam. That and much, much more coming up on today's Beyond the News. So, let's go to simplypsychology.org and it is the Hoffling Hospital Experiment. by Dr. Sal McLeod, and this is updated on June the 21st, 2020. The aim? Charles K. Hoffling, 1966, created a more realistic study of obedience than Milgram's by carrying out field studies on nurses who were unaware that they were involved in an experiment. So if you want to know uh, what Milgram was, I suggest you go and have a look at it. That's where the, uh, they were asked to shock people to death, or at least that's what they thought. The people were just actors and no one really got a shock. But uh, it was all designed to try and understand obedience, conformity, and how things such as, you know, the Holocaust and where people would do horrible things to each other at the orders of somebody else, you know, to total strangers, how that kind of thing could, you know, could come around. So, method. The procedure involved a field experiment involving 22 real night nurses. Uh, this was in 1966, by the way. Dr. Smith, the researcher, phones the nurses at a psychiatric hospital who are on night duty 
and asks them to check the medicine cabinet to see if they have the drug Astroten. When uh, the nurse checks, see, she can see that the maximum dosage is supposed to be 10 milligrams. When they spoke with the doctor, that's in inverted commas, they were told to administer 20 milligram of the drug to a patient called Mr. Jones. Dr. Smith was <laughs> so Smith and Jones there. Dr. Smith was in a desperate hurry and he would sign the authorization form when he came to see Mr. Jones later on. The phone call ended when either the nurse, one, obeyed the doctor's order, two, resisted the order, three, went to get advice, four, became upset, five, could not find the medication, six, or if the call lasted longer than ten minutes. The medication was not real, though the nurses thought it was. The drug itself was a harmless sugar pill. It was a placebo. There are, of course, those that argue sugar isn't harmless, but anyway, side issue. Invented just for the experiment. If the nurse administers the drug, they will have broken three hospital rules. They are not allowed to accept instructions over the phone. That's number one. Number two, the dose was double the maximum limited stated so, sorry, double the maximum limit stated on the box. Three, the medicine itself was unauthorised, i.e. not on the ward stock list. The study also used a control group to make comparisons with the findings from the experimental group. In another hospital, 21 student nurses and 12 graduate nurses were asked to complete a questionnaire asking them what they would do if confronted by the experimental situation. The results. In the experimental group, 21 out of 22, that's 95% of nurses, obeyed the doctor's orders and were about to administer the medication to the patient when a hidden observer stopped them. Only one nurse questioned the identity of the researcher, Dr Smith, and why he was on the ward. The nurses were not supposed to take instructions by phone, let alone exceed the allowed dose. Eleven nurses who went to administer the drug admitted to being aware of the dosage for Astroten. The other ten did not notice, but judged that it was safe as a doctor had ordered them to do so. When other nurses were asked to discuss what they would do in a similar situation, i.e. a control group, 31 out of 33 said they would not comply with the order. Conclusion Hoffling demonstrated that people are very unwilling to question supposed authority, even when they might have good reason to. When the nurses were interviewed later, they pointed out that many doctors were in the habit of giving orders by telephone and became seriously annoyed if they were not obeyed. Although such obedience was against regulations, the unequal power relations between doctors and nurses meant life would be very difficult if nurses did not do what they were told. Hoffling's study showed how the social pressure brought about by the imbalance of power could lead to a nurse actually putting a patient at risk rather than disobeying orders. Strengths A strength of this study is that it has high levels of ecological validity due to the fact that it was conducted in a real-life environment. Nurses were unaware of an experiment, so there were no demand characteristics as they were only going about their everyday job acting as they would normally. Another strength is the high level of re reliability. 
As the study followed a standardised procedure, the doctor gave the same scripted instructions to each nurse over the phone. So it can be replicated. Deciding when the phone call ended was also operationalised. Finally, a control group was also used which allowed comparisons to be made. Participants' variables were minimised as the nurses in the experimental and control groups were closely matched for age, sex, marital status, length of working week, professional experience and area of origin. Weaknesses. The control group comprised 33 nurses, whereas there is only data for 22 nurses in the experiment. This indicates that the study had a high rate of attrition, i.e. high dropout rate. The study broke the ethical guideline of deception, as neither the, the doctor was real. Also, some were left distressed by the study, so lacked protection from harm. All nurses were debriefed within 30 minutes of the phone call. Rank and Jacobson, 1977, tried to replicate Hoffling's study using a real drug which the nurses had heard of, but did not get similar results. They believed that the nurse, nurse's knowledge of the drug, specifically the consequence of an overdose, meant that they could justify their defiance to the doctor more easily. So, an interesting study there that I thought I'd um, point out for you all. Now then, from the inserts, uh, moving into the, the 21st century now. This is from Halloween, October 31st. Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fang. The Department of Homeland Security is quietly broadening its efforts to curb speech. This is by the, for the Intercept, by the way. That's the, the uh, Greenwald that, or he founded it and then uh, moved on or something. I don't know. I can't remember. That was the guy that brought us Edward Snowden. Years ago, that was. Years of internal DHS memos, emails and documents obtained via leaks and an ongoing lawsuit as well as public documents, illustrate an expansive effort by the agency to influence tech platforms. The work... Sorry, this isn't... I've said spying at the top of the show, wasn't it? I got confused. This is about um, collusion with big tech. I do apologise. So, not spying. It's about big tech collusion. My... Uh, so, I got confused with the uh, article there. The... Work, much of which remains unknown to the American public, came into clearer view earlier this year when DHS announced a new Disinformation Governance Board, a panel designed to police misinformation, that's false information spread unintentionally, disinformation, that's false information spread intentionally, and malinformation, factual information shared, typically out of context, with harmful intent, that allegedly threatens US interests. While the board was widely ridiculed, immediately scaled back and then shut down within a few months, other initiatives are underway as DHS pivots to monitoring social media now that its original mandate, the war on terror, has been wound down. Behind closed doors and through pressure on private platforms, the US government has used its power to try and shape online discourse. According to Minute Meeting Minutes and other records, appended to a lawsuit filed by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, a Republican who is also running for Senate. Discussions have ranged from the scale and scope of government intervention in online discourse to the mechanics of streamlining takedown requests for false or intentionally misleading information. Platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. 
that's a quote from Microsoft executive Matt Masterson, a former DHS official, texted Jen Easterly, a DHS director, in February. In a March meeting, Laura Demlo, an FBI official, warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support from the US government. Demlo, according to notes of the discussion attended by senior executives from Twitter and JP Morgan Chase, stressed that we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. We do not coordinate with other entities when making... Anyway, I think you can go and read it for yourself and it's now going to be sort of broken down by Judge Napolitano on the Alex Jones show. Now, uh, they cover quite a few things in this clip. It begins with them talking about Alex Jones's Sandy Hook law case. And that's at the beginning of the, the clip. And then they'll go into the article that we're just talking about there, the collusion with social media and its implications and legalities. And that's where I'll leave it. But they later on, um, especially the judge, goes on to say why they are so disappointed in Trump and don't want him to run in 2024, which um, I think makes for interesting listening. And um, I agree with that sentiment. So now let's go to the video and um, listen to what Judge Napolitano has to say. Or not, as the case may be, because as ever I've queued it up and it's decided not to play. In Connecticut, for all of the faults of this present Supreme Court, the John Roberts Supreme Court has been superb on free speech. And once this case gets there, and it's got a, bu- a bunch of steps to go before it gets there, Alex, but once it gets there, you will be vindicated. And and the Alex Jones case, which now stands for suppressing free speech, will be one of the great cases of all time that law students will study and lawyers and judges will rely on as the great protection of free speech. Alex, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, You've been on my mind with all you've been going through in the past couple of weeks. I have talked about you on my podcast. I wrote a uh, piece called Alex Jones and the Freedom of Speech, which, uh, thanks be to God, got tremendous coverage and made a a very plain and basic free speech argument before you uh, in, in your behalf. I guess we can talk about your own situation at a later time, because the issue that you raise now doesn't affect just Alex Jones, where the state of Connecticut changed its laws retroactively to censor and punish you. Oh, yes, sir. I, 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 I wanted to get you on about my, my case that affects everybody as well, but I just, this is breaking, and I, you're the, it's perfect timing. I, I mean, am I underestimating, I mean, am I overestimating how bad this is? No, no, you're not, because this is, this is a government trick. Now, this goes back to George W. Bush who, of course, brought us the Department of Homeland Security, which is basically 60,000, 60,000 federal cops. There are only 8,000 FBI agents, but we have 60,000 federal cops in the Department of Homeland Security. They don't don't direct traffic. You don't really see them. They do the types of things that you are uh, quite properly and quite courageously warning your audience and the American people about. 
So when the Department of Homeland Security or any government engages a private entity to do the government's bidding, so it looks like it's the private entity, it looks like Facebook is censoring you, but they're really doing it because the government hates you, then the private entity is engaged in what the courts call state action, which basically means the private entity and the government, I'm putting my fingers together, become so intertwined with each other that the limitations that the Bill of Rights imposes on the, on the government will be imposed on the private entity, stated differently. If Facebook or Google or Twitter or any of them are censoring as a favor to the federal government, then the Bill of Rights will be applied to Facebook or Google or Twitter, and they won't be able to do this on the basis of content, and they can be sued for doing it, just as the federal government could be sued if it censored you or me on the basis of content. So they were a little too cute. They thought, the feds that is, they could hide behind Facebook, but because these documents have been revealed, it is now obvious what they were doing. It is clear what the law is, and Facebook and Google and, and Twitter and whoever else is doing this will be exposed to mammoth liability by becoming spies and censors in behalf of the feds. In, 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 in not just in U.S. history, but in history, where are the parallels? Because this technology didn't exist before. I mean, this is, you said mammoth. It's gargantuan. It's, it's just total admission. You're the expert. You're the lawyer. You're the judge. Is it, how illegal is this? Well, it is profoundly illegal, A, because it, um, it has a private entity standing in the place of the government, and the Fourth Amendment prohibits the government from doing this. So when Edward Snowden, for example, revealed that the NSA was spying on everyone, he revealed what was up to that time the most massive federal violation of constitutional liberties in the post Civil War era, again instituted by George W. Bush, which was capturing every keystroke on every desktop and every mobile device in the United States. The total information awareness network that you first exposed. Correct. And when you and I talked about this, we were ridiculed. We were ridiculed by the mainstream media. We were ridiculed, ridiculed by my colleagues at Fox. Uh, we were ridiculed by the government. We were ridiculed by a lot of people who said we were extremists, we were alarmists. We weren't. We were stating the facts, and it has taken 22 years for the American public to come around to an understanding of the fact that our warnings were correct. All of this started with the give Bush whatever he wants attitude that occurred right after 9-11, when they enacted the Patriot Act with 15 minutes of debate on the floor of the House of Representatives, and next to no debate on the floor of the Senate, uh, and it eviscerated the Fourth Amendment by allowing one FBI agent to give another another FBI agent a search warrant, even though the Constitution says only judges can do that on the basis of a probable cause. All of that led in varying steps to the Department of Homeland Security, to more massive spying, to a doubling and trebling of the amount of agents that work for the NSA. So there's now, it's the same number as the uh, DHS, 60,000 
American spies. This is not the same 60,000 that work for DHS. This is another 60,000 who work for NSA, and all they do is spy on America. So this is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But what was revealed yesterday was far more duplicitous than what even Bush was doing. Bush was having, and Obama before this, was having the government directly interfere with your constitutional liberties. What is we what now know has happened under Obama and Biden is the federal government hiding behind big tech and pretending it is big tech that is censoring us when in reality it is big tech doing what the federal government wants. Now, why would big tech do this for the federal government? Great question, easy answer, because there's a statute that immunizes big tech from being sued for the consequences of what big tech posts. So the statute says, Facebook is Hold a- Hold on, stay there, board. stay there and explain this, but it, it's simple. They're indemnified, so now the federal government gets indemnified from surveillance. Unbelievable racketeering, we'll be right back. Now, about seven, eight years ago, former head of the NSA saying, we've never spied on a single American citizen. Total lie. Came out, they're spying on everybody. But imagine the controversy now with DHS, with NSA-like powers through big tech and the banks and the universities and NGOs farming out government orders on who they want censored, who they shut down. That's why Zuckerberg a month ago and Joe Rogan is getting ahead of this. He knows it's coming out. He's like, yeah, the FBI told me don't cover Hunter Biden. It was Russian disinfo. And you read this, it's total election meddling. They admit it's about the elections. So Trump got in for four years, but he wasn't really in because these bureaucracies were still operating. So it was really bad under Obama. Trump gets in, they're still operating undercover. And then now under Biden, it just spikes. Judge Andrew Napolitano, one of the top brains... I don't give Trump a pass like Alex Jones does. Check him out on Twitter at Judge Knapp and on the website JudgeKnapp.com and his amazing podcast and shows that I watch on a routine basis at least twice a week. And I did see your big defense of me in laying out the law, which we'll do later in the hour. But obviously this is, this is even bigger than the weaponization of the judiciary. You got cut off by the break, Judge Napolitano, when you were getting into why the federal government wanted to use these cutouts of private industry. Well, the real question is why would private industry cooperate with the federal government? Because the feds have enacted a statute that declares that big tech is really a bulletin board. So the view Facebook as a bulletin board, some crazy person could post some harmful uh, information there or some private information and an innocent individual harmed by it. That innocent individual cannot sue Facebook. It can only sue the person who posted it who may not be somebody you can find or may not be somebody with any assets. So that's Section 230. Correct. So Section 230 of the Federal Communications Act, which regulates this stuff, gives Facebook and the others absolute uh, uh, immunity for the consequences of what's posted there. So probably during these negotiations, the feds have said, you like that immunity, right? Sure, of course we do. It saves us a fortune. Okay, you want to keep that immunity? You're now working for us. And if you don't work for us, there's a lot of Republicans and even many Democrats who want to get rid of that uh, immunity. That will force you to buy very expensive liability insurance, 
which will force you to start charging people for using Facebook and Twitter and Google and all, all the others. I'm not particularly picking on Facebook. I'm just using it as an example. There are many of high-tech uh, businesses that we use and take for granted that we don't pay directly for using that are protected by this section of the federal law. Do I know that this threat occurred? Of course not. I wasn't in on those conversations. You and I are not the type of people. No, but we saw the Democrats on air saying, if you don't censor more, we'll strip 230. They, they said that. Correct. Correct. So the Democrats are on the other side of this. The Democrats are threatening to strip the immunity um, that, that's granted to big tech if big tech fails to censor. The Biden administration is saying to them, we're censoring, but we're going to pretend it's you. And if you don't go along with this pretense, we will strip this immunity. So you have pressure coming from both sides. Republicans hate uh, big tech because they they believe that there should be some censorship and they don't like that Trump was censored and others weren't. So you have massive uh, pressure. You said the key, the that's what allowed government. this all is the Republican establishment, including who I like, but he's bad on this, Clarence Thomas. They see the horrible excesses of media and say, okay, let's do some censorship, but it's it's going to be selective. Well, you know, it's it's wrong. Um, uh, I'm holding up my iPhone. What's in here? Financial, medical, legal, personal, professional, banking, almost everything you can think of. When, when uh, uh, Donald Trump nominated... Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and he asked me what I thought. He said he doesn't believe in the Fourth Amendment. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, here's this opinion, Mr. President, if you want to have one of your people read it. In Kavanaugh's uh, opinion, you don't need a warrant to get into uh, an iPhone. The government can just go in there. Even though so it's the most personal concern. papers there are. It, it is literally like a colonoscopy. I mean... <laughs> correct, correct. So you have so-called conservative... Republicans on the court appointed by conservative Republicans agreeing with liberal Democrats appointed by liberal Democrats that the Fourth Amendment is meaningless when the federal government claims its favorite claim, national security. Yesterday, when the Supreme Court oral argument over affirmative action, one of the justices said, well, why does West Point get to use racial quotas and Harvard can't? And the lawyer for the federal government said national security and the court laughed. It has nothing to do with national security, but the government will always claim it's national security. And in their minds, and regrettably, even in the court's minds, that trumps the, the personal right to privacy, which is supposed to be protected by the Fourth Amendment. So the bottom line here is the government is, is spying on us, but it's hiding behind big tech so that we won't know it because big tech is a private entity that can censor whoever it wants. But when big tech does the government's bidding, then the Fourth Amendment is applied to big tech and they can be sued for what they do and exposed for what they've done. So is this not election meddling, illegal spying, government closure of private corporations, the mother of all civil rights violations? How bad is this? Is this not the worst thing I've ever seen? And where should we go from here? Well, it is probably worse than what Snowden revealed. Uh, because it's all being done behind a shield uh, of private enterprise. I mean, this is the worst form of, I'm going to use a word you're not supposed to use, 
fascism that the United States has seen. So the definition of fascism is private ownership but government control. Exactly. Which is which is exactly what we have. I mean, Facebook is owned by its shareholders. Well, yeah, the, the left overuses fascists, but Judge, you're right. This is the definition of fascism. Yes, yes, it literally is. Facebook is owned by its shareholders, but the government is controlling it. And the same with any other big tech that the government is using to hide behind. So this began under Bush, was done below the radar under Trump because he never would have gone along with it, but it happened on his uh, on his uh, watch. Sorry, began under Bush, exacerbated under Obama, below the radar under Trump, exacerbated now again under Biden. This stuff that came out uh, yesterday, these are Biden era documents, so they're they're less than yes, eighteen sir. months old, are simply reprehensible and they are a nightmare and they are what you and I and our colleagues predicted 22 years ago. Well, you are completely vindicated because I learned much of this from you watching you and you said all this. You said it'll be used against citizens. You watch, you said in a few years and, and now here we are. When we come back, let's shift gears into my show trial. You're an expert. I'd love to hear your view on it. I know you've been... Uh, so uh, we already heard that opinion at the top there. Um, so what you like about Alex Jones, but he gets on some very, very good guests and is one of the few people that would give a platform to people who otherwise would not have a platform. Now we're going to have a look at an article from The Guardian now. This is from today, the 4th of November, by Charlotte Graham McLeay. And New Zealand revamps de-radicalisation programme as anti-authority terror threat rises. Government promises more openness on threats as security agencies appeal for public help in identifying those at risk of violent extremism. New Zealand is roll rolling out a bespoke de-radicalisation programme as the threat from people holding violent anti-authority beliefs grows and its security agencies make an unprecedented plea for the public to report those showing signs of taking extremist action. Security officials say that in a sea of hate speech where increasingly younger people are being radicalised online by a messy grab bag of ideologies, they more than ever need the public's help in identifying those at risk of turning to violence. The government has in turn promised to be more open about the threats security agencies face as they struggle with a national culture that has long regarded them with distrust and granted them a limited social licence. As agencies made their case at the country's second summit on countering violent extremism, senior public servants spoke to The Guardian about the new counter-radicalisation initiative to be formally launched in December after nearly two years of development, saying it would create specific plans to deter those deemed to be high at risk of carrying out violent extremism. Headed by the police and involving six other departments, it aims to provide wraparound solutions to keep participants engaged with society and education and even reintroduce them safely to the internet, the site of radicalisation for many. So we're now going to go to a video from BitChute, which uh, I believe is um, about this from a uh, New Zealand media outlet. Uh, I own no copyright on this video or any other videos that I've played on this podcast or any other 
podcast. And if there's ever any problem with it being used on my show, I only play things from open source, uh, things from BitChute, YouTube, um, other such sites, Facebook videos or videos that come across the Telegram group at Beyond the News Gym. If there's a problem, you can send an email to me, beyondthenews at protonmail.com. So, let's get into it now. Our Secret Service is launching an initiative to help us identify people who may have been radicalised. Nova Science details dozens of indicators that a friend or family member could be planning a terror attack. As Adam Hollingworth reports, the move comes as our spy chiefs identify a new and worrying type of terrorism. Time was when the intelligence services were never seen, never heard. But now they're loudly proclaiming your country needs you to keep an eye on those you know and, if necessary, dob them in. Recognising a potential warning sign and then alerting NZSAS or police could be the vital piece in the puzzle that ultimately saves lives. To that end, they're publishing a guide called Know the Signs to help us all identify potential terrorists in our midst. To pay attention if they are, and to be alert so that if they see or hear about something that seems off, um, that worries them and concerns them, they might have a look at this information to say, does this indicate to me that this person is on the road to actually committing an attack? The SIS has listed around 50 signs from obvious ones, like writing on a weapon, as happened in Christchurch, to... A person who is, who is really developing an us-versus-them worldview. Authorities say they're usually closely monitoring 40 to 50 potential terrorists. These people used to be motivated by their white identity or by their faith. But in the past six months, a third group has emerged, those motivated by politics. And so it could be the COVID measures that the government took, and so it could be the COVID measures that the government took, or it could be other policies that are interpreted as, as infringing on rights. Uh, and, and, and it's a, what I sometimes describe as a kind of hot mess of, of ideologies and beliefs, um, fueled by conspiracy theories, fueled by conspiracy theories. The launch of the initiative Know the Signs is an indicator that the security services know that they can't do it alone. They need the help of the public. But to some, the guide is a first step only. How do we upskill those people in our community who are much closer to people who might be potentially radicalised and get them to understand what it is they're seeing? That's our challenge. Adam Hollingworth, News Hub. So that video was edited to uh, repeat a couple of lines there, evidently. So, from the BBC now, COVID vaccine to be mandatory for children in Costa Rica. It's uh, 5th of November 2021. Um, I'm not certain if that was uh, repealed or not. I'll just read that article from last year. Um, so Costa Rica has become the first country in the world to make COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for children. The jab will join the extensive list of basic childhood vaccinations already required by law, health officials have said. However, on so this is a, a Costa Rican news site that I'm not particularly familiar with, but um, I did remember seeing something about it. So this is one of the articles that was sent. Uh, that comes across and so this is my response is that I don't think that that stands anymore for, and this is the closest thing I could find to describe it but anyway not familiar with Costa Rican news but um, I will do 
you know, things that get sent across onto the Telegram group, if I think, no, that's no longer in date or anything like that, I will try and bring up what little knowledge I have from the situation and try and give a more updated version. So anyway, in his first degree as president, Rodrigo Chavez eliminated the mandatory use of the mask as well as the obligation to be vaccinated against COVID-19. In addition, the refusal to be vaccinated will no longer be grounds for dismissal in the public sector. The strict use of mask and vaccination is only in force for workers on the front line of public health care. For other people, the use is voluntary. So um, I'm not certain um, where the children stand in that. But anyway, that's my response uh, to that coming across my attention there. So something more recent now, 3rd of November, yesterday of this year, 2022. Did Ebola leak from a lab? Scientists claim accident at US-funded biofacility may have caused 2014 West Africa outbreak. The Ebola epidemic is believed to have come from a bat-filled tree in Guinea, but a new report says otherwise. A virologist and journalist believe the virus actually spilled out from a US-funded facility in Sierra Leone. Emails from WHO officials cited total confusion and absolutely no control of what is being done at the lab. This is by Caitlin Tilley and this is from the Daily Mail. So virologist Dr Jonathan Latham, a former researcher at the University of Wisconsin and journalist Sam Husseini say there are a number of inconsistencies in the official timeline of the West African epidemic. They claim the virus likely emerged during routine research activities from a laboratory in Kenima, Sierra Leone, which at the time was receiving funding from the US government for its work on Lassa fever. The lab specialised in hemorrhagic viruses similar to Ebola, though it's unclear whether it actually handled the epidemic-causing pathogen. Most experts still believe Ebola emerged naturally during a spillover event from animals in Guinea, around 175 miles from the lab. Bats known to harbour Ebola were identified in a village where the first official patient was diagnosed, but researchers never found the original animal host. An independent expert responding to the findings told DailyMail.com the theory was certainly possible, but raised several questions about the credibility of the authors. Dr Latham has a master's degree in crop genetics and a PhD in virology and was a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Wisconsin. He runs a website that has received a strike by online fact checkers for misleading scientific claims in the past. Writing in those online fact checkers we have covered their... Um, well, those would be the same online fact checkers that Judge Napolitano was talking about earlier with regarding to we're going to bring in censorship as a result and the fact checkers were, were doing it. So you can take that um, with a pinch of salt. But who knows? I have no idea what the claims that uh, he made. I may go onto that website and go, yep, I completely agree with the fact checkers. I don't know. I haven't checked them out. Writing in the investigation, the author said there is so far no evidence for an animal reservoir for Zaire Ebola in West Africa. Right, and the, um, the article continues and there's quite a lot to digest there. And uh, you can go and read it. It's all found in the comments section of hopefully where you found this video. And uh, seeing as it's the mail, we can do best rated, worst rated. Okie dokie, up 990, down 12. 
very sinister goings on in the world. Much corruption true. You cannot trust the WHO. Next. Up 654, down 30. Ebola is man-made and has a patent. Right, let's have a look at the worst rated now. Up 11, down 72. There is no leak and no lab. Everybody knows these viruses occur naturally in nature and are no human invention. History has proven this with bubonic plague, influenza, Spanish flu, SARS, all happen naturally. Just a thought on, I don't know whether it has a patent or not, but I do remember listening to scientists talk about the SARS outbreak and reading mainstream news about the lab, possible lab involvement in that as well. Uh, I can't remember what edition that was. It be on the news many, many editions ago now. Um, up 11, down 64. Oh, here we go again. Conspiracy number and then one and then lots of zeros. So, speaking of uh, some of the world's most foremost conspiracy theorists, um, let's have a listen to uh, the EU's response to David Icke that has come out this week. So this is David Icke being interviewed by his son Jamie Icke. And uh, again, this is from Infowars, uh, but it's, it was originally from their network Iconic. Let's see if the video plays. Nope. And welcome to a special interview here. If you haven't seen already, then you're about to hear one of the most shocking and terrifying stories for freedom of speech and censorship that you'll have heard in recent times. Um, in the evening, last night, David Icke was banned from the entire EU mainland, with the exception of Ireland, obviously, for simply wanting to speak at a rally in Amsterdam. So Dad joins me now. Welcome. So tell us about the story from your side. How did this begin and, and what's gone on? Well, um, thanks, uh, Jay. I'm uh, in a hotel, um, which I'm going to leave shortly. Uh, it's near Folkestone, and um, I was here to go through the Channel Tunnel today to Amsterdam. And then I was uh, told last night we got a, a, a ludicrously long and rambling email letter from the um, Immigration Department and the Justice Minister, actually Injustice Minister, in the Netherlands, saying that not only was I banned from speaking at a peace rally in Amsterdam on Sunday, but actually I was going to also be banned from the 26 European countries of the so-called um, Schengen um, uh, group. And uh, so what we are looking at here is something that People who have been abusive of me and ridiculing me and uh, dismissive of me all these decades are going to have to face a shocking fact. And that is that I have been right all along. And you put this into perspective. I'm one guy living on the Isle of Wight. I 
say that to self-identify with the labels of a human body or human life, whether it's color, culture, sexuality, uh, income bracket, race, religion, whatever, is ridiculous and confirmation that anyone who does that has not grasped what reality is and actually we're all in the end one consciousness having different experiences and someone with that philosophy has been demonized as a hate monger spewing hate according to the ludicrous uh, injustice minister in the Netherlands I've had ultra-Zionist organizations, as usual, there's one in every country and they're used to silence anyone who's getting close to the truth, who has demonized me in the Netherlands. A man and a dog organization, just like the man and a dog organization in Australia, the uh, Anti-Defamation Commission, I think they called it, um, was uh, responsible for uh, getting me banned from Australia in 2019 and people need just to look at this situation and ask why is this so-called all-powerful omnipotent system of national and global institutions so terrified of one guy a guy they dismiss, oh, he's mad, he's, he's, he's ridiculous, he thinks reptiles run the world. Well, no, I don't actually. I know they do, ultimately. Um, and why this extraordinary, over-the-top response to one man, I say again, coming to Amsterdam, speaking for half an hour at a peace rally, and going home. Why yes. are they so terrorized by me? And I'll tell you why. Because they know I know. They know I know in fine detail, deep, 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 deep in the rabbit hole, they know I know. They know people like Mark Rutter, the uh, World Economic Forum controlled uh, alleged Prime Minister of the Netherlands. The Netherlands royal family, the House of Orange, up to their neck in this stuff, know that I know. And therefore, they are desperate that no one else knows. And so they have to stop me communicating it. And the detail that I've put together in the last 32 years. and. What you're seeing here is not omnipotent power expressing itself and imposing itself. You're seeing panic, panic over one man and what he's got to say. So anyone out there, if you want to know what's going on in the world, then watch my videos and read my books. And then you'll see in context why this extraordinary, extreme, over-the-top fantasy of banning a guy from 26 countries for his opinion, you'll see what it's all about.
Um, so I just wanted to um, make a, a point there about what he was saying as regards the Zionist thing. A lot of people equate that with uh, Israel and Jewish, but David Icke doesn't. Um, I've seen numerous videos where, and he alluded to it there, where he just said it's a, a, a group that operates in different countries. So I don't think there's anything anti-Semitic about David Icke. I wouldn't be playing him on the podcast if there was, because there's nothing anti-Semitic about me or this uh, podcast either. And I've put it on silent there because um, I viewed the video earlier and they referred to Matt Hancock as a mass murderer, which I disavow myself from that statement because he's never been convicted of anything. So, um, and uh, I think that's an incorrect statement to make um, unless someone's been judged to be that in a court of law. And uh, also the whole reptile thing. Um, I don't go down that rabbit hole on this podcast at all. This is all about mainstream news, what I can prove and where conspiracy theory meets mainstream news. That's what Beyond the News is all about. And uh, you can't prove any of that reptile stuff in, in any way, shape or form from what I can see. Um, there's some interesting circumstantial stuff, but that's it. So uh, we'll just I just wanted to make those quick points about what uh, Mr. Ike was saying there. And... Um, to demand that someone is silenced and not allowed into the country. The mainstream media, which is owned by the same cult that owns the rest of it, they then start um, promoting the fact that uh, I am uh, a hate monger. Yeah. And um, I am basically uh, demonized on a, an extraordinary scale. You also make sure, which is what the uh, Netherlands uh, media did, that you don't ask me on the target of the demonization hour after hour after hour to give a, a response. You don't want to give them a platform. You just want to destroy them. So, well, I'm, by the way, I'm undestroyable for anyone who wants to try. Well, many have. And, what happens then is you go to the third stage, Jay, and that's where moronic people believe what they're told about me. Moronic people um, who call themselves anti-fascists while they were totally silent while Rutter's fascists imposed fascism on the Netherlands yeah. during COVID and with, with brutal uh, police, um, a, a police response. It was absolutely brutal. Those guys in the fancy dress that looked like total pillocks um, with the batons. Um, they were silent on that uh, because they're not anti-fascist at all. They wouldn't know proper fascism if it bit them on the arse. But they then start um, saying that they're going to do a counter demonstration. And they don't want me in the country. Why do they want me in the country? Because they believe what they're told by those that don't want me in the country. Uh, and then in the last two or three days, Extinction Rebellion announced they were going to do a counter demonstration on Sunday against me. Not because I am anti-Semitic, but because I um, am calling out the human cause climate change hoax for what it is, a hoax to justify the transformation of society. 
Um, and so what happens then at the end of this sequence is, as we saw in that letter from the immigration department and the injustice minister, they say, oh, well, look, the police have said that because you've stirred up such uh, antagonism, uh, you are a threat to public safety if you come into the country. Uh, and so the sequence is your man and a dog organization starts kicking off. Your media then massively expands that to the population. Chunks of great chunks of the population believe what they're told because they haven't got a mind of their own. And then the government says, oh, well, you know, the reaction to you, which we've actually generated, is a threat to public safety, so you can't come. That's the sequence. And it's, um, it's familiar to me because I've seen it many times. Yeah, they did it in Australia as well, didn't they? They've, they've tried it yeah. in other countries. They've tried it in the UK at various places and always failed to actually get events cancelled. Do you think, in a sense, though, I mean, I imagine it's, it's pretty disheartening, but do you think that it actually is counterproductive what they've done? Because you'd have gone Sunday, I don't know how big the protest was going to be, let's say a few thousand, you'd have done the speech and you'd have left the country. Whereas by doing this, no one in Holland doesn't know who you are now. This is going to be a story across the whole EU. Do you think this has actually helped, in a sense, because it's, it's made you, firstly, a massive icon for resistance, which you already were, but it's, it's really amplified that. And it's also made a lot of people that maybe hadn't heard of your work go, who is this guy then? What's he talking about? I'm interested. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, first of all, I'm not disheartened. I'm energised. Because when people go to this extent to silence you, you know you are um, on the right track. You know that you're uh, over the target when they react like this. And secondly, we shouldn't forget that these people aren't very bright. Um, a lot of these people aren't very bright. And so um, you are uh, looking at, though, especially in a state of panic, when you panic, you make mistakes, um, that they have gone so over the top that it has had this, among people with a, with a brain cell, that is, and that doesn't, of course, include everyone uh, or anything like, but those who have a brain cell, uh, at least one um, working, will be looking at this and saying, this is so extreme, so over the top. What the hell um, are they, why the hell are they doing this to this guy and telling us that he's, he's some kind of terrorist? Is it terrorist three threat or something? Yeah. It's ludicrous. And so um, the combination of not seeing the uh, implications for my credibility of this, which are, of course, massive, and the panic of, no, no, we've got to stop this guy, we've got to stop this guy, we've got to stop this guy, um, has combined for them to... Um, you know, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd call it an own goal, but I mean, they're 6-0 down and they've scored them all against themselves. That's the scale we're looking at. And uh, so they've given me tremendous credibility because if I was not right in what I'm saying, and I mean, I mean in the more far out, allegedly extreme areas, yep. which they mention several times in this uh, diatribe of nonsense uh, to uh, explain why I'm banned. You know, the whole reptilian thing comes up. I mean, why aren't they just saying, if it's so ludicrous, oh, it's just mad, no one's going to believe that. 
but it's true. And that's what they're terrified of. And I'm not talking about the minions uh, that, that, you know, in the administration in the Netherlands, they'll, um, they'll just do what they're told and believe what they, they're told to believe. But in the deep inner core of this global cult, they absolutely know that I'm right. And they're terrified that enough people um, will see that I'm right and realize the true nature of what we're facing. And that is a non-human force working through uh, a uh, human network, the global cult, to impose its will and its um, total control via AI on the human population. And that's where I'll leave it there. I, I don't go into the whole... Uh, I, I stick to conspiracy reality and the whole reptile stuff's definitely conspiracy theory in my opinion. Um, that's not ridiculing Mr. Ike and uh, just um, that's not what I cover on this show. So this was conspiracy th well let's put it with a question mark I'll just read it as it is so this uh, is was first brought to my attention by the interview I did with John O'Looney over a year ago it's by the Daily Mail did care homes use powerful sedatives to speed COVID deaths number of prescriptions for the drug midazolam doubled during height of the pandemic Powerful sedative prescriptions doubled at the height of the coronavirus. Prescribing of the drug midazolam increased by more than 100% in April. Whistleblowers also claim to have witnessed misuse of sedatives. It's by Stephen Adams and Holly Bancroft. Um, it's by 12th... Oh! Uh, by 12th of July 2020. So this would have been before I interviewed... Oh, I didn't notice that date when I first pulled it up. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't come. So this would have been a year old before I interviewed John O'Looney. And there was me thinking it was only just breaking now. <laughs> well, there you go. I've learned something today. I'll read it out anyway. So, yeah, I just had to check that date. Published on 12th of July and updated 12th of July 2020. So over two years ago now. And uh, I hadn't noticed this before. Interesting. The number of prescriptions, and that's why I like, uh, I can't remember how this come across to my attention now. Was it the Beyond the News Telegram group or um, other research that I'd done? Anyway, let's read on. The number of prescriptions for a powerful sedative that can kill the frail doubled at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, raising fears it was used to control elderly residents in stretched care homes or even to hasten their deaths. Official figures show out-of-hospital prescribing of the drug midazolam increased by more than 100% in April compared to previous months. An anti-euthanasia campaigner last night said he suspected that the spike was evidence that many people had been put on end-of-life protocols or pathways. You can, of course... I'm going from memory now, you can go, what was mainstream news was something called the livable care pathway. Whistleblowers also claim to have witnessed misuse of sedatives with staff told to give them to dementia patients to stop them wandering the corridors. The claims are unverified and were last night vigorously disputed by the Association for Palliative Medicine, which said that there were good reasons for the increase. 
over the past five years about 15,000 prescriptions for midazolam to be used outside of hospital have been written each month in England. In April, 38,582 prescriptions were made, more than twice the February figure. Retired neurologist Professor Patrick Polisino was who was instrumental in raising concerns a decade ago that the livable care pathway, there we go, was bringing forward patients' deaths, believes the jump indicated something similar had happened. He said midazolam depresses um, respiration and it hastens death. It changes end-of-life care into euthanasia. Yeah, it depresses respiration, so doesn't help you breathe. Not good during a COVID pandemic, one would have thought. Professor Polisina also claims that the official flowchart intended to help health workers decide if people sick with COVID-19 were suitable for intensive care wrongly consigned those deemed too frail to end-of-life care. So let's scroll down to the comment section. And uh, let's see if they've been moderated for a start. The comments below have been moderated in advance. Yeah, that seems to be more and more coming from the Daily Mail now. So best rated up 705 down 69. If I was elderly in a care home and was suffering badly I want to go sooner rather than later. And the next one up 667. So these comments are all two years ago by the way. Up 667 down 53. There is nothing wrong with sedatives at the time of death. My dad was flailing and distressed and was given sedatives to keep him calmer and more peaceful. We were grateful for the intervention. So, of course, their use increased as death rates increased. Um, up 602, down 22. Care staff can only administer what a doctor prescribes. Care home staff can never prescribe anything. Um, don't know about that. Literally don't know, so I'm not saying it's true or not. Right. Worst rated, up 79, down 183. Or could it be that those parents, carers and patients wanted a stockpile of their emergency rescue medication for their epilepsy? It is used for that too, subject to a consultant prescribing it, and inclusion of the medication in the person's epilepsy care plan. Another attempt to smear smear care homes and carers. Next one. Up 37, down 74. It's so sad these drugs had to be used. I'm sure the prescriber did so with patients' best interests at heart. So, next now, again from the Daily Mail. Russia's ambassador warns Britain is too deep into the Ukraine conflict and says Moscow will publish proof UK helped carry out suicide drone attack on the Black Sea Fleet, adding, it is dangerous, it escalates the situation. 3rd of November by Stuart Carr and Chris Pleasant. Russia's ambassador insists he has evidence of the UK aiding a Ukrainian drone attack on Putin's fleet in the Black Sea. Diplomat Andre Kellin has said Britain is involved too deep in the Ukraine war and warns of consequences. Russia said it lodged a strong protest over Nord Stream and Black Sea attacks which it accuses UK of aiding. Britain denies direct attacks on Russia as false claims on false claims on an epic scale, but is open about support for Ukraine. So let's just, um, I think the bullet points sort of cover that, but you can go and read the whole article for yourself. Let's have a look at best rated and worst rated now. There we go. 
Right, best rated. Up 3045, down 1043. Can't believe a word Russia says. Where's the proof, Putin? I think that's fair enough in a time of war. Right then, up 2338, down 351. And that's show us your evidence. I think that's fair if you're going to make claims, show the evidence. That's why I don't go in for the same reason. I think that's fair enough. It's the same reason that I don't go in for the whole lizard thing with Ike on this podcast because I stick to only what can be proved. Okie dokie. So this is from The Telegraph now and uh, Sarah Napton and it says Tuesday. So I'm assuming that it's this Tuesday. Crisis as excess deaths soar to levels higher than during COVID pandemic. Excess death in England and Wales are currently running higher than in the main pandemic years of 2020 and 2021, figures have shown. Throughout October, there have been an average of 1,564 extra deaths per week, compared with a weekly average of just 315 in 2020 and 1,322 in 2021. So that's interesting, isn't it? We had all those lockdowns and the complete rechange of society with the deaths that we had in those years, but now it's running higher. Nothing. Not even, uh, not even an inquiry, as best as I am aware. So that's, uh, I think that says quite a lot about government, really, doesn't it? Next, oh, it's MSN, so there's no comments, but I would have loved to have uh, seen that. Um, let's read a little bit more about. Latest figures from the ONS showed that the weekend, uh, just cover this, uh, it is 16.8% higher than normal. Deaths are also running higher than the five-year pre-COVID October average from 2015 to 2019 figure showed. Health experts have warned that some of the unexplained deaths are being caused by collateral damage from the pandemic when operations and treatments were cancelled or delayed as the health service concentrated on COVID. The government's stay-at-home, protect-the-NHS message also left many people who needed medical treatment unwilling to bother the health service or afraid that they would catch coronavirus if they went into hospital. So that's where I'll leave today's show. Thanks very much for listening.